I want to have a look at uh, this morning ambassadors for Christ. So we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21, firstly. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, we read, So that if anyone is in Christ, that one is a new creature, a new, new creature, a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Whereas God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and putting the word of reconciliation in us, then we are ambassadors on behalf of Christ. As God exhorting through us, we beseech you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, you see there, it starts off, it says, so that if anyone is in Christ... That's a two-layered statement there because there's, there's two facets to being in Christ, I believe. And the first one, of course, is salvation. Accepting Christ into your life as Lord and Saviour places you in Christ. And when God looks upon us, he sees us in Christ and can look upon us. And so that's the first aspect of the in Christ statements there. And the second one, though, is our day-to-day walk of being in Christ. Because um, if you get a mental picture of sort of like the spiritual form of Christ and we are surrounded, we are inside that and we are taking the same shape as that and so God looks at us and sees Christ, it's very easy in our day-to-day life as sin and temptation comes along to stick an arm out there and put that arm outside of Christ and then we are susceptible to, to temptations and we have stepped outside Christ to a degree. It's not a matter of salvation. By doing that and moving outside of Christ, we haven't thrown away our salvation or the devil can't grab the arm and yank us out of Christ because no one can separate us from the love of God and his salvation. We have to willingly reject that. And so, but we do, through the flesh, step outside. We're not always in Christ. Um, And that is where his grace and mercy comes into a huge effect. So just bear that in mind. The in Christ thing is both the salvation and our day-to-day walk. So, and then we are called in verse 20, we are ambassadors on behalf of Christ once we are saved. Now, the purpose of the ambassador in this context is to represent the will of the government. An ambassador's purpose represents his government or his king or his emperor, whatever the structure of rule is that you are appointed by an ambassador. We are appointed as ambassadors to the kingdom of God. And Christ is our ruler. What are the characteristics of an ambassador? 
Well, we've got an outward, the, the ambassadors exhibit these characteristics. An outward respectable appearance, to deceive, to mislead, to lie, to excuse, to be hypocritical, and superior to all of your fellow citizens serving with you. Now there's the ambassadors of the world. The ambassadors of the world have to follow what their governments say because they will be, if they do not, they will be recalled. Now they're following their governments, they're following their prime ministers, whoever, the, the dictator that has put them into that position. And if they do not do that, then what happens to these guys? They are recalled in disgrace. In some countries they are imprisoned or executed because they have not towed the party line. An ambassador, by his nature, has to tell lies to the country that he's in. He has to deceive because government policies generally are deceptive. And those policies and answers, you know, did you order this attack on so-and-so? No, of course we didn't. You know, the, the lies that go in the world uh, do not stop it. Uh, just the ordinary people, lies come at government levels, as we often see. And so that's the ambassadors of the world. Outward respectable, inwardly rotten, because inherently, general statement, they are unsaved and therefore conform to the values and measures of the world. There will be exceptions to that but it would be very difficult to be a born-again Christian and be an ambassador in the world and not fall foul of your government. So, what are the um, characteristics of the ambassador for Christ? Well, there is both an outward and inward respectability. Not how you dress, but your manner. There's an outward manner and there's an inward manner. The things we do in secret should line up with the things we do in public, but we all know they don't. We have that struggle quite often. Whereas we present a face, we come along to church on Sunday and prevent, uh, present a certain face, and then we can go home, there's no one around, and that sometimes mask drops, and that is one of the battles we have with the flesh, that trying to achieve what we know is right and the flesh trying to achieve what the enemy wishes to pull into wrongness. And that's what I've said before. If we keep our focus on Christ, trying to achieve to be like him is a whole lot easier than trying to you know, ignore his um, guidance and teachings and blessings and do it our own way and get to heaven in our own way. So a outward and inward respectable appearance as far as our character and nature is concerned. And it says, uh, so if we, that would be, that's just a, a general picture. Have a look in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. There you will find a very good description of an ambassador for Christ. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. 
So that is a wonderful ambassador for Christ if those characteristics are shown. And we're told they are possible. We're told that it's also something that we grow and develop as we mature and it takes effort and we don't always succeed at it and sometimes we fall and sometimes we get it wrong and sometimes we do not exhibit these things. But we are still ambassadors for Christ. So when um, we're an ambassador for Christ, as I said, for the worldly ambassadors, what happens to those guys? Well, basically they are recalled and one way or the other they will be put to death, whether it be by their governments or on Judgment Day. What will happen to the Christian ambassador? Matthew 25, 21 said to him, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things and I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. We don't always get things right as Christians. We don't always represent Christ how we should. But his mercy and his grace allow us these wrongnesses, allow us, we do fall into the temptation of sin. It's, it's an ongoing thing to have that be in that battle. But when we misrepresent Christ, we are not recalled and condemned. We are treated in a different way, which I'll, I'll mention a little bit later. But enter into the joy of your Lord. That is what's going to happen to us as ambassadors of Christ if we will stay the course. So what are our rights as an ambassador for Christ? Because rights is a word we hear so much today. Everything is based on everyone's got this right and that right and the other right and it's, it's, you dare not transgress someone's rights because all sorts breaks loose when you do that. James chapter 1 verses 12 to 15. James 1, verses 12 to 15. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, because having been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one being tempted say, I am tempted from God. For God is not tempted by evils, and he tempts no one. But each one is tempted by his lusts, being drawn away and seduced by them. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For brothers, you were called to liberty. Only do not use the liberty for an opening to the flesh, but by love serve one another. The rights we have in both those things are to exercise our free will. We have, uh, God has given us free will and the right to exercise it. 
and it starts from the time we accept salvation or reject it. And then we are free every day in our Christian life to accept his leading or reject his leading, to listen to his voice, to not listen to his voice. And as I said, with the illustration of sticking your arm or your leg or your head outside the covering of Christ, it doesn't mean a loss of salvation. What it does is make you a target for the enemy. And we are free to have that choice. And unfortunately, in our foolishness, which we often perceive as wisdom, we make the wrong choice. And then we, having free will, need to accept the consequences. You can't whine about the stuff that happens to you when you have disobeyed God because you get what you deserve. Well, you don't get what you deserve. In the world, you'd be recalled and imprisoned. In God's kingdom, you are warned and, and uh, convicted and he is gentle about it and you have many, many opportunities to make this right with him his graciousness and his love. So you can't whine when things are going badly because you've made a foolish decision and not represented God correctly. You can't go, oh, it's not fair. One of the big terms today, it's not fair. And you hear fair, it's not fair with about five syllables because it gets really a good whine on the end of it too to try and make people feel sorry for you of how unfair it is. What about our human rights? Human rights is this huge thing now. Everyone has every right under the sun except an unborn baby and now the elderly. Human rights. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verses 2 to 10. Speaking of Jesus before his time. For he comes up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of majesty that we should see him, nor an appearance that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as if it were a hiding of our faces from him, he is being despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we ourselves are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way, and Jehovah has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth, he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land and the living, for the transgression, transgression of my people he was stricken. And he put his grave with the wicked, 
and with a rich one in his death. Although he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased Jehovah to crush him, to grieve him, that he should put forth his soul as a guilt offering. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the will of Jehovah shall prosper in his hand. So there's an example there, which I want to go into the New Testament and have a look at another example in 2 Corinthians verse 11, 23. And this is Paul speaking. You might say, well, you know, that was Christ and he was God and rah, 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 but he was man as well. But to go to a ordinary man, if you like, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as beside myself. I am more, I have been in labours more abundantly, in stripes above measure, in prisons more, in deaths many times. Five times from the Jews I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the deep. I have been in travels often, in dangers from waters, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my race, in dangers from the heathen, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, in dangers on the sea, in dangers among false brothers. I have been in hardship and toil, often in watchings, and hunger and thirst, often in fastings, in coldness and nakedness. Besides the things outside conspiring against me daily, the care of all the churches. Now, so there's Jesus and Paul, and then look at the trial of Jesus, which was illegal from start to finish. It was illegal against its own Jewish law, it was totally false and biased. It was a kangaroo court. And so these three instances. Did you hear Jesus whine? It's not fair. Did you hear Paul whine? It's not fair. What about my human rights? What about the law? What about this? What about that? You heard none of that. Specifically, it says he didn't open his mouth. There was no attempt at self-justification. None of us have suffered anything like either of these two examples, and it's highly unlikely that we will. The 49 stripes minus one, because 40 whippings, lashes, was determined would probably kill you. So they stopped at 39. Very helpful, you know. There's a very fine line there. Yeah. We None of us, I don't think, are going to be uh, five times receive 40 lashes, be beaten with iron rods, be stoned, be shipwrecked three times. Do you hear Paul complaining about this? Do you hear him standing upon what his rights are? No, not in the least. And these are men and passages of Scripture that have been placed in the Bible to teach us and to be examples to us. We're very, very quick to moan and groan and whine. And it is something a Christian should not have as part of their nature. 
There was ways to speak about things, there was ways to relate things, but having a moany, whining character is not one of them. Now I want to look at the law of the land as well too, because one of the things as an ambassador of Christ, we need to be reflecting what Christ's standards have been shown to us in Scripture. And so we see there that he wasn't a complainer, he wasn't a moaner, he didn't stand use the laws made by man to stand upon his rights. And there was many other instances with Christ when when he could have complained about what the crowds were trying to do and how unfair it all was. The law of the land, let's look at that for a moment. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul, this is Romans 13, verse 1, let every soul be subject to higher authorities. For there is no authority but of God. The authorities that exist are ordained by God. That's a hard pill to swallow at times because there are some terrible authorities and there were some cruel regimes. But God has had a plan since the time that Ben mentioned. When mankind fell, God has put his plan into place. And these governments are all necessary as part of God's plan. They haven't taken him by surprise. He's not sitting there saying, whoop, I didn't see that fellow getting in. You know, he knows all these things and they are all allowable in his plan that he desires, his heart's desire, is that none should perish. Unfortunately, free will determines that many will perish because of the hatred of God that is exploding through the world again. And so, he, you know, I think to a degree we get the government we deserve. New Zealand certainly has, and I'm not being, I don't mean either Labour or National. What I'm saying is the country that has gone so far away from its foundations of Christian values, doesn't matter who gets in now, they're going to continue on the course that has been set because God has ordained that. And... So, it says, irrespective of your opinion, whether you think they're a good government, a bad government, right, wrong, or the other, you are subject to their authority, which is the law of the land. Jesus addressed it, Matthew 22. He spoke specifically on this, and he's starting to clear things up for us as well. Matthew 22, verses 20 and 21. And he said to them, whose image and in inscription is this? This is upon a coin. A coin of the realm. Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things which are God's. Render to Caesar or our government, or our laws, the things that are those, and render to God the things that are his. This is the balance, so there is a balance here. So the balance comes in Acts chapter 5, because um, 
as has been proved many times, it's still being proved throughout the world, throughout our country and everywhere, you can take a scripture and you can prove any point you like out of it. If you do not look at the Bible as an entirety, and if you do not look for the balancing scriptures, you can prove any point that you wish to push. The balance, I believe, here, to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God that is God's, is in Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 29. And this is dealing with the disciples. And bringing them, this is the um, ruling Jewish authorities, they stood in the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you that you will not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. And that's exactly what Ben was saying. They didn't, they'd gone to denial. The blood was on him. But they will not accept the sin, even though they were experts in Scripture and knew. But the denial, the justification, and the blame, they're blaming the apostles for speaking the truth. You intend to bring this man's blood on us. And Peter and the apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now, I could take that scripture and justify civil disobedience in myself if I want to stand on it alone. But when you balance it with the Roman scripture, you have a greater understanding of how we are meant to represent God. Because it is very, very important that we understand the balance. The direct and clear banning of the instructions of God specifically applying to Christians. That is an important definition because it is going to happen. At the moment, in, in these lockdown things that are going on, Christians aren't being targeted. Christians have got up in arms and said this and that and all that. They're not being targeted. They are, there's, there's Muslims have got the same rules. There's Rotary Club, Lions. Everyone you like is under those same rules. It's not a targeting, even though you know, we are told do not forsake the assembling together. Then you look at that balance with being subject to the authorities. Well, we were still able to uh, assemble together during lockdown because Kev organised Zoom meetings. But once it gets to the point where the Christian churches are not allowed to meet because specifically of their faith, then we move into the Acts scripture, we ought to obey God rather than men. And that is going to be costly for us. It's going to be costly and we're not there yet. There's some stuff going on, I think little trials and things going on to see how much various um, powers and things can get away with. But that's my opinion. You know, I'm not God. He's got all this under control. But we need to be careful that we are not applying the Acts scripture in a Roman situation. When we've decided we don't like something and we can justify our actions and our beliefs by quoting Acts. And I want to give you a real-time instance of this 
about these rights and how they apply. I said before, everyone's claiming rights. Um, in this time, and a lot of these scriptures, I think, from Christians are being misused. And I would use the instance, because it's so high profile at the moment, of Brian Tamaki and his protest of a thousand odd people in Auckland. And these are the questions I would ask about this because it's all been on the news, seen it all. Did he represent God in that protest? Did he bear good witness of Christ's character in organising and going ahead with that protest? Did he encourage others to disobey scripture? And if he did, is he repentant of that? Because as far as I can see, he has been disobedient to scripture. The church has not been targeted with these. This is a blanket thing across New Zealand. Whether the, the ins and outs, the wisdoms, the foolishness of it, all these sort of things, I'm not talking about those. All I'm talking about is being an ambassador of Christ. Now there's been a huge amount of non-Christians furious about this, and rightfully so. A lot of people have made sacrifices in Auckland, a lot of businesses have gone under, a lot of the vast majority of people have obeyed the law of the land and then they see this in the name of Christ because we're allowed our freedom. We've got these rights and we've got those rights and you can't stop us. What witness does that bear to the unsaved of Auckland and New Zealand? What about the thousand people that were there as well? Free will. They made the choice to disobey the law of the land and they have probably justified it under acts. In my personal opinion, and this is not a sovereign revelation from God by any means, this is my personal opinion, is that they did it because they wanted to, not because they were directed to by God. I don't think the facts line up with being able to claim this was an acts situation we are going to obey God rather than men. You may have a different view on that, and that's fine. But that is a, it's a wonderful example to be able to look at and decide yourself. What do you think about that? Have a look at the facts, have a look at the actions, have a look at the consequences of all these things, because there is consequences. And there's consequences to all of us when we disobey the law of the land and claim we're doing it for Christ. Because as an ambassador for Christ, do we misrepresent him? We need to think of these things. As I said, when a worldly ambassador misrepresents his government or his king, he is recalled, he is disgraced, and sometimes he is imprisoned or put to death. When a Christian, this is, this is a brilliant thing, because I'm not talking about Brian Tamaki's salvation. I'm not qualified to judge that. There's only one judge. There's only one who knows. What I'm talking about is his representation of Christ. And if he did misrepresent, misrepresent him, what happens when a Christian ambassador misrepresents his king? He is rebuked, 
He has an opportunity to exercise free will in that rebuke. He'll either repent or reject it. He, the free will will determine whether he is restored to God or further distanced from God and whether a hardness of heart develops as a result of. How does a hardness of heart, because that's what happens if you know you've done something wrong, if you know that you have sinned and you have misrepresented Christ, if you're not prepared to take correction and repent of it, then you must justify it to yourself and to others, probably as many as will listen. So how do you do... How, how, what, and when you start to do that, there's this hard shell starts to form around your heart that the truth of God, you don't let it penetrate your heart. You put the shield up against it. And how does it, that manifest itself? This hardness of heart will come out by judging others. It will come out by teaching false doctrine. It will come out by leading, lifting men higher than Jesus. It will come out by encouraging sin. Have a look in Romans chapter 2. Because the hardness of heart isn't like your heart's just whoop, turned to stone. It's a gradual thing. And you don't notice it until you realise you've stopped feeling the things of God and you're just going through the motions. You have become a plastic Christian because you're still saying the right things and doing the right things. But basically, inside, you have surrounded your heart with the, with, to protect the fear of God finding it. It's like Adam and Eve hiding. You're trying to hide from God behind the shield of hardness because you know he's right. You know he's warned you. He's either warned you himself or he sent one of your brothers and sisters along to warn you. You've continually denied his grace and his mercy. And so now you've got to justify yourself. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, you are without excuse, O man, everyone who judges. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself, or you who judge do the same things. But know that the judgment of God is according to truth on those who practice such things. And O man, the one judging those who do such things Sorry, and O oh man, the one judging those who do such things and practice them, do you think this, that you'll escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and the long-suffering, not knowing the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But according to your hardness and your impenitent heart, do you treasure up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each according to his works? Indeed, to those with patience and good work are seeking for glory and honour and incorruptibility, everlasting life. But to those who indeed disobeying the truth out of self-seeking and obeying unrighteousness will be anger and wrath tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man who has worked out evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek but he will give glory honor and peace to every man who works good to the Jew first and also to the Greek for there is no respect 
of faces with God. We have to be very, very careful about misrepresenting Christ. Because when we get caught out in it, unless you have a knowledge of this new heart, it says when we first started, you are a new creature. You need to guard that new creature, the new creation. Because the old creation is trying to snatch it back. The old creation has a heart of stone. The new creation has a living, beating heart of flesh. The enemy will try to turn that heart back to stone. Be on your guard. And it comes, one of the initial um, type of things to judge this by is how we represent Christ to others. How we represent Christ also when there are no others around. How we represent Christ to our families, to our children. These are all things that when we start to get it wrong, unless we will listen to the loving and gentle rebuke of God, will lead us to that final place, possibly disobeying the truth out of self-seeking and obeying unrighteousness and we will find ourselves separated from God. It will be our choice. His desire is to continue pouring grace upon us, but at some point, refusal, refusal of that grace will cost us. So what do we need to remember out of all this? If we claim we're children of God, then we must realise it is an everyday to be decision to be just that in its fullest meaning. Be willing to be corrected by God, and that is sometimes through people we don't even like. Yeah, a child can correct us. Now that rubs you up the wrong way, something shocking. All right? But they can say something in a question because of your actions or your mannerisms that they have witnessed. They ask you a question. Oh, you know. Well, did Jesus tell you to do that? Oh, yeah, that's a correction from God, from a child. No, well, I know, you won't understand. You'll understand when you're older. And who are you to tell me anyway, you horrible child? Go away, yeah, sort of thing. Our reaction is to deny it. And because that's embarrassing to be corrected by a child. None of us like correction. You have to have a very unique heart to love correction to accept correction is a soft heart. Now, someone that corrects you isn't always right mm -hmm. because we, uh, we're going back to um, the scripture before, uh, everyone who judges, you're without excuse a man who judges. Some people, because of their own standards, personal standards, will judge us as Christians because we believe different things. So their correction is not always right. So bear that in mind. But what you have to do, even if you think it is wrong, is to take it to God. Lord, your, your, your son, your daughter has come to me with this. I personally can't see it. But if it is true, will you please show me? Will you please confirm this? That shows a soft and heart that is willing to be corrected. 
You've got to take it to the Lord because he may have sent that person. You don't listen. You can set the first foot upon that trail that leads to hardness of heart. Be willing to be corrected. And we also need to examine ourselves as far as our attitude and actions on a regular basis. Now, I'm not talking about a witch hunt here. I've seen good Christians go on an internal witch hunt and lose their faith because what they found is in the flesh there's a love of sin and somehow they've translated that into I'm not a very good Christian a good Christian wouldn't have these thoughts a good Christian wouldn't and they have lost their faith I'm not talking about a witch hunt it's a dangerous thing you don't do that God will point out what he wants to point out and bring it to the surface as he knows you're ready to deal with it that is his tender mercy but we do need to examine ourselves and ask the Lord to show us these things because if we breeze along thinking we've got it sussed and we don't need him to show us these things we will lead ourselves into deception we will start to believe our own press and we will start to elevate ourselves above Christ we need to be accountable also to a structure that is provided and endorsed by God in our case it's this fellowship we, this fellowship was structured as close as we could on the biblical model of elders and they were put in a position as shepherds as the Bible described and we have subject, subjected ourselves to the authority of the elders it is their job to keep an eye out for us and on us and if they see us erring off the path to address it to us that is the structure and that is the safety because if we just say we don't need to be part of a fellowship and we get into an isolated little group quite often how cults start centered around one man who has the strongest personality and if he it's like the, the moonshot might start off in the right position but by, if you, by the time you fire the rocket, if it's one degree off when it takes off, it's a thousand degrees off and misses the moon by a million miles. And it's the same thing with, with a charismatic leader. If he is off slightly and it ripples through a thousand or ten thousand people, there are huge consequences that lead people away. So we're in a structure here that we are accountable to the elders for our, what comes out of our mouths, our actions, and um, how we represent Christ. The fortunate thing is they are accountable to us as the fellowship for the same thing. They are not set up here as our bosses or the grand poobars. They are given God's authority to guide and shepherd us but they are also accountable to us for their actions. And that's a wonderful balance. And it's one God has ordained. And so we need that for our own safety of not being led astray. If we follow these things, we claim children of God, we must examine ourselves, realise we need to be as, our target needs to be as much like Christ as possible and to represent his nature, then we will be true ambassadors for Christ in a dark world which would be a wonderful thing to be. So, Father, I pray you will take this multitude of words and you will just allow the ones that are from you to live 
the rest will be forgotten. We'll find no place to lodge my foolishness, my opinions will find no place in any heart or mind. Only the truth from your Holy Spirit will find a place to dwell and prosper. Thank you, Lord.